Warm welcome. It's good to see you all today. Um, you're joining us in the last on our series on leadership. So just to kind of recap, we've been doing a little series on leadership. We did two weeks before Advent, and then the past couple of weeks we've been doing another two weeks. And just looking at what good leadership is and trying to give you some skills to be able to identify what good leadership is. And then obviously the whole point of the series is to challenge us as a church to endeavor to, to, to practice good leadership and, and so that it's, it, it brings glory to God. Because often in the church, whenever you see issues or whenever you, the church makes the, the press headlines for something that's gone down, more often than not, it's just because somebody has made some poor decisions in leadership, somebody has put the wrong person in leadership, and it's all come to a head in the end in a bad way. And so we're just trying to be honoring to the Lord, trying to equip ourselves to be a people that are good at identifying good leadership and call good leadership out in one another. Today we want to begin to just kind of wrap that series up by considering some of the most effective ways to both lead and serve, because believe it or not, even if you're not a leader in name, if you're serving, you're leading. Because somebody sees you serving, and somebody will end up following you. Okay, that's the way it tends to work in life. And so even if you're just someone that's serving, you're doing some kind of humble ministry in your opinion, you're leading in some way. You're setting an example, because that's kind of what leading is. And so the most effective ways for us to lead well and to serve well is really by modeling good leadership and by multiplying ourselves. And that's what we want to press into today. You know, if you'd had to meet my former senior pastor from my old church in Scotland, you'd notice that we're completely different people. We have very little in common, right? So whenever we get together, or even when we're working together, we pretty much spoke about church, church and church, and a couple of other things. But by and large, uh, we didn't like the same sports, we didn't like the same movies, didn't have the same sense of humor, learned that early on, right? Um, all these kind of things, we just had very little in common. But one thing you would notice if you got to know him and spend a little bit of time with him, you'd realize that many of my leadership practice, some of them, that some of you have commented that you like, some of them that you like, you would notice most of them come from him. A lot of the things that I do as a leader, I learn from him. Because the fact of the matter is, for a number of years, you know, I went to that church for four years, and then I was on staff for four years. So for a long period of time under his leadership, I just sat and watched how he dealt with people. I watched how he reacted to uh, difficult situations. And I even watched how he led me during good times and during challenging times. And so he modeled a lot of good stuff to me. And in a sense, he multiplied that into me, and eventually, as he trained me up in other areas, he released me into leading in his own church as an assistant pastor for a time, and then, in the end, ended up releasing us so that we could come and lead the Greenville Vineyard. And through all that time, he taught me a lot about leading a church, things to do, things not to do, things that are ethical, things that are kind of gray, things you want to avoid, things you definitely want to press into. Things and habits you want to encourage people and, in a sense, feed, and things that you definitely want to discourage and not see happen. And I'm really, really thankful for that because he did a really good job. And it's taught me something over the years that good leaders produce good leaders in their wake, and good servants produce 
good servants in their wake. And today I kind of look at how we do that. How do we multiply ourselves? How do we model well so that as we go about whatever it is the Lord's asking us to do, that those who follow along behind us do it well or do it, do it even better than we do. So uh, bow your head in prayer with me today before we get into our reading. Lord, we, we lift you up, we praise you, we thank you. Jesus, we, we rejoice that you were such a good leader, that you led the 12 and your early disciples so well, that they went and they changed the world. And so this morning as we look into this whole issue of modeling and multiplying, would you help us to multiply ourselves, the best part of ourselves, the bit that you're shaping and bringing into, into line with your kingdom and that glorifies you. Help us to learn to serve well. Help us to learn to lead well. Give us a heart to do those things. We pray as well this morning for our brothers and sisters throughout the world, those who are worshiping in, in places of relative freedom, and those who are hiding right now, afraid for their lives as they, as they seek to praise you. Lord, would you be present with all of them? Strengthen them. Set them on the right trajectory. Produce your kingdom in them. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. <clears throat> if you have a Bible, you can open up to Luke chapter 9. Incidentally, just wanted to remind you, you would have noticed this morning that when we started the service, rather than having our reading after our first song, we had the reading first. That's something we're going to be experimenting with over the next few weeks and months because we're really trying to figure out having a good call to worship at the beginning of our services. Sometimes when we just start our service and we just kind of go into singing, that's, that's good and all, but um, as we've just been praying and as I've been reflecting personally over the past few months, I really want us to have a, a good start, a good call to worship, a place where we have a moment of focusing. And so we're kind of moving that reading to the beginning of the service to try and really get that going. So I really encourage you, if you're in the building at the time, uh, get your coffee and try and be in here for the start of that service so that you can be a part of that reading. Um, sometimes we forget in the West the power of the Word. You know, I've got like 10 Bibles in my house, you know, and sometimes I'm like, oh, which one am I going to read today? I think I'll read the pretty one with the pictures in it and all that kind of stuff, you know, or the one that explains the verses to me so I don't have to think as much as normal, right? Or whatever it is. And so we're spoiled with Scripture. In fact, we're so spoiled that I bet you some of you haven't picked your Bible up for a week and read that thing, right? Because it's just there all the time. But you know, all over the world, in more than half the countries out there, people are dying to get their hands on a Bible. And when I say dying, I don't mean like we're dying to have a Chick-fil-A this week, right? Not that type of dying. Like, they're physically putting their life at risk, and some of them are being murdered whilst they're trying to get their hands on the Bible that you and I take for granted every day. Because they understand something about the Word of God. It's powerful. Now, I don't know about you, but I actually decided to pay attention this morning when Stephanie was reading the Scripture. And I just, it dawned on me while, I, while she was reading that there's power in the Word. It's like, these words are power. As I was listening to them, I was like, God is worthy of my worship. He's worthy of my worship. Like, it's, He doesn't get to get my worship, you know? It's like, oh, wow, I'm throwing a bone to Jesus today. You know, when you show up 
with the collective. Like, you know, when you worship by yourself during the week, that's great. Or you read scripture, God says, when two or more are gathered there in my name, I'm totally sidetracking today, by the way, I apologize. But when two or more are gathered there in my name, I am there with them. Okay, that is an extra promise to you. That when you worship with the other followers of Jesus, God is, in a sense, extra present. I don't know how that works, right? Because how can God be more present than normal? That's a mystery. But he promises to be there in, in a deeper, more meaningful way. And, you know, when we stand and we read Scripture and we read that Word, when we, we show up together and we prepare ourselves to worship, and that's the point of why we're moving the Scripture to the start of the service. We really want to help you prepare your heart for worship so that when you sing the verse song or even if you hate singing, when you do whatever you do during worship, you know, be it prayer or maybe you journal, I don't know. But when you begin to do that thing, you've prepared yourself a little. You know, you've let go of the argument you had in the car on the way over, okay? You let go of the fight you've had with your kid to get them in the car or whatever it is you did. You've let go of it, and now you're ready to worship the King of Kings who died for you and rose for you, who's given you new life, who's preparing an eternity for you here on this earth with him that is just second to anything you can imagine. He is worthy. And so... I want you to be ready for that one for when you worship. Because when we show up and we believe that he's worthy and we prepare ourselves, he's going to make himself known to you. That's what it means. If two or more gather, there I am with him. God will make himself known to you. But you have to, you have to bring yourself. Right? You've got to bring yourself. And you have to find a way to let go of the distractions of the week so that you can press into that thing, that corporate worship with others. And so, you know, encourage each other to do that. Encourage other to focus on worship when you're here, to focus on giving to God what is His, because He deserves it. He deserves it. We're not just doing Him some random favor. Luke chapter 9, I'm going to read from verse 1. And it says this, when Jesus had called out the 12 together, He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases. That power is in the room today, which is a mystery. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. <clears throat> Let's jump over to 2 Timothy, verse 2. This is a short one, and it says this. You then, my son, this is Paul writing to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. <clears throat> Pardon me, I'm going to have to clear my throat. I've got a frog in my throat. Won't go away right now, so bear with me. So these two passages highlight a couple of things I want to bring out today. And the first one is this. Good leaders and servants invite others in. So most of you know the story of Jesus. He's walking around, 
sees a random fisherman. He says, hey, you, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And then when we look at our passage today, these guys have been following Jesus for a while. They've been watching him do his stuff. And then one day he brings them in. He says, hey, you know what? Time for watching is over. I'm giving you power and authority to heal the sick, cast out demons. Uh, Head on out. Don't take anything with you. Rely on God's provision fully. And go out and do the stuff I've been doing. On you go. Skedaddle. And he let them go do it. Like James and John, the two guys, right, who when Jesus went to town and people refused to listen to him and he left the town and he shook the dust off his feet to them, which meant he just left them to their fate. That's what he did. James and John, hey, like, Lord, do you want us to call fire down on heaven and smoke all these people? Right? Jesus sent those two guys out on their own with the power of God. Okay? Just think about that for a while. And so there's this concept that Jesus invited people, you know, risky people, into his work. And Paul the same invited Timothy into the work that he was doing. You know, the church in Ephesus had lots of things going on, had some problems. And Paul had this young guy, Timothy, following him around, watching him do ministry. Eventually said, you know, Timothy, I need some help in Ephesus. Head on out there and fix it. And he sent him by himself to go and fix it. And then as he was doing it and encountering all the troubles that he was going through, Paul wrote First and Second Timothy to deal with the specific problems of that church. You know, Ephesus was the most religious city in the empire. It was where Diana was worshipped, and it was this massive temple, the Temple of Artemis, I can never say it right. And, you know, loads of shrine prostitution, all that kind of stuff's going on. He was pastoring the church in that city, dealing with incredible idolism and so on. And so we see Jesus and Paul inviting people into their ministry and and training them up and letting them see what they're doing. And so that means for you and me that we should always be on the lookout, looking out to see people who've got potential, keeping our eyes and our ears open, noticing people. Because, you know, all around us, the Father is at work. That's what Jesus said, right? My Father is always working. And Jesus was always trying to pay attention to what the Father was doing. This is the lesson we learn in trying to follow Jesus, is that even though Jesus was the second person in the Trinity, he could have done whatever he wanted here on earth, he submitted himself totally to the Father. He lived as a, as a, as a human with all those constraints, and he only did what he saw his Father doing. So he spent loads of time in prayer, loads of time paying attention, looking at people, seeing situations, trying to figure out what the Father was doing, trying to figure out what God was up to through the revelation of the Spirit, the leading of the Spirit in his life. And whenever he noticed what the Father was up to by the Spirit showing it to him, he would do that. He would tap into that. He was always in total submission. Really, really interesting thing going on there. And so he would notice people. He would see people and understand, hey, that, that's the follower that I need to invite into things. And so the Father is always drawing the lost to Himself, but He's also laying service and leadership on the hearts of people. You know, you're a follower of Jesus, you're trying to figure stuff out, and all of a sudden there's a burden that comes on your heart. You you feel a burden to go and do something, serve someone, or or launch a non-profit, or even start to lead a, a small group or a prayer meeting or something. It begins to burn in you. That's That's the Father at work by the Holy Spirit, laying things on you inviting you in 
And most of us stay really quiet when God is doing that in our lives. We're like, oh, I don't know how to deal with that. And often we only really step into those things when somebody else sees it on us. And then they say what the Father is saying. They actually say it with a human voice. Hey, I think God is inviting you to do this thing. I think God is laying this on your heart. Maybe you should step into it. And then you respond. But it requires all of us watching and listening and paying attention to one another. And as we do that, we'll begin to pick up on some stuff, either through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit might just really strongly impress on you one day, hey, so-and-so's got a real gift for stacking chairs. I don't know, whatever it is, right? And you've got to invite them into that. So-and-so might not welcome that prophecy from you, but hey, you never know. And so sometimes it's a revelation of the Holy Spirit might come on you. And you might see somebody go like, I just really feel like, God has given that person a compassion for the poor. Maybe I should go and tell them that, see if I'm right. Hey, has, has God really given you a heart for the poor? He has. How do you know? I just really sensed it right now. I just want to encourage you to pursue that. That's called the word of knowledge, by the way. That's called pro- prophesying on somebody and being naturally supernatural. You weren't weird. You don't walk up and say, thus saith the Lord Shazam, you know. You just gave a nice gentle word of encouragement. That's how prophecy is supposed to work in the body. And so you just step into that thing. Or it might happen some other way. Maybe you're just having a, a, a chat with somebody out there and they're watching Debbie or Sarah Burke uh, setting up the table. And they just say to you, you know, I, just, I just love serving people. I just love making coffee for folk. And they just throw that comment out there. But you've got your big ears on. And you're like, oh, really? That's interesting. You know, because they're looking for two more people to serve on the coffee and tea table. They actually are looking for two more people to serve on the coffee and tea table, by the way. And, and so you just turn around to that person, let me introduce you, because now you're inviting them in. Let me introduce you to Debbie and Sarah Burke. Maybe you should step in and be a part of that. You invite them into that thing. So you see the signs, you see what God's doing, and you invite someone in. And we should all be doing that. We should all be paying attention to that, inviting people into what God is laying onto them. Both listening, obviously, for ourselves individually, because we should be doing that, and to what God is inviting us into, but also helping others to step into their invitation. Because people just often need a little help. They need a little push. i tell you a little bit of a secret we announce a lot of things in announcements, don't we? We need somebody for this, we need somebody for that. But hardly anyone ever signs up for anything from an announcement. It doesn't matter how many times I say, hey, if you want to do this or if you want to do that, you go speak to so-and-so and speak to so-and-so. Nobody ever does, right? Nobody ever signs up for anything, whether the announcer announces it or whether I announce it. Because human beings just aren't that way wired. Every once in a while, one of you is special and goes, do you know what? I'm going to do that. And you step forward and you volunteer. But about 90% of you are like, oh, I could do that, but I don't know, I don't know. Most of you get into what you're doing because someone asked you to do it. Someone, they didn't, probably didn't even know that God highlighted you to them. But they step up and say, hey, listen, would you like to help out with this? And you're like, actually, I think I would. That would be good. And you step into it. That tends to be how it is. And so... That's why we say we all have to keep our eyes open. We all have to invite people into things. Because sometimes God is laying something on their hearts. God's asked, asked them to be in a particular place. 
So for this seasoning time, God's asked you to be in this church. So he asks you to do what you need to to be in it. Or he asks you to lead a ministry or go to a prayer meeting. And so he's challenging you to do that. And when you meet other people that God's got the same challenge, you're invited to help them do that kind of thing. Let's move on to my next point. So say you, you volunteer for something, you, you go and you get into something. Whoever you're volunteering with, whoever's going to be leading you, has a couple of responsibilities. And if they're good at what they're doing, if they're good leaders and good servants, they will start to model what they do and teach you how to do it. And so, you know, in many vineyard churches, uh, when we're training our leaders and servers to do stuff, we use this um, acronym. I don't always say that word wrong, but I got it right this time. <laughs> and the acronym is I-R-T-D-M-N. Anybody ever heard that before? Some of you should have, because I bring it up now and again. You're, good. Well done, Wayne. There you go. There it is up there. The secret's out. The acronym stands for Identify, Recruit, Train, Deploy, Monitor, and Nurture. Sounds a little bit complicated, but it's not, okay? Um, a lot of what we do in this church uses that philosophy. You probably just don't hear it a lot because I don't go run around saying IRTDMN all the time, okay? Because it's a mouthful. But basically, it works like this. Say, let's use the, the coffee hospitality thing as an example. Say you let the cat out the bag. You've accidentally told somebody you like serving coffee. You know, you've been dragged in to serve on the coffee table, um, kind of half-kicking and screaming, but knowing that you should. And there you arrive, somebody hands you over to Sarah Burke and Debbie, and they run off into the wind, and you're stuck by yourself. So now they're like, what are we going to do? We're going to train you up to do tea and coffee. Well, identify and recruit has already happened, okay? So like, you know, two out of the six things are done. Somebody saw you, dragged you in, and you've recruited. Now it's the time is to train you up. How would that work? Well, generally speaking, what would happen is... Sarah Burke or Debbie would invite you to watch them do it so and, and help them. Okay, come watch me, and they'll set it up and do it one morning. So you'll show up at 9.05 um, and help them do it one day. And you'll probably do that a couple of times until like they feel like you could probably do this by yourself. Who knows how long that would go on. If you're like me, probably a bit slow. Okay, maybe take you six or seven weeks, months maybe to figure out where everything goes. What do I do with the hot water again? How do I carry this thing? Oh no, where's the trolley? Panic, panic, and then all that kind of stuff. Come on, that's how you all are when you're learning how to do stuff. <gasps> panic, okay? So anyway, you get to the point where Sarah Burke or Debbie are like, you can do this by yourself. And so you get stuck on the schedule, placed in the rotor, whatever you want to call it, and you're on one Sunday. You show up, you know where everything is, you start doing it, and you do it your way, you know. They teach you the main basics and the values, but let you pretty much set the coffee up to table. How you, as long as there's coffee and tea, you're good to go. And then you do it a couple of times, and then what you'll find is after that, you'll have a couple of informal conversations. So now you've gone through the training and you've been deployed, right? So that's four down. And then you'll have some informal conversations. Things like, hey, how's it going? How'd you feel about it? Yeah, I did better than I thought I would. Blah, 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 whatever it is. And you might get some feedback, you know, some nurturing. Uh, you might get the question of, what do you think about coming in maybe five minutes earlier to make sure the coffee's hot by 10.15, right? Which is a nice way of saying, hey, your first week was pretty good, but the coffee was cold, so uh, you might want to come in earlier and switch that sucker on. 
you know, a couple of minutes early so that people have hot coffee or whatever it is. And you're like, okay, fair enough, I'll do that. Next time you come in five minutes early. But that's the whole IRTDMN process done, okay? That tends to be how we lead things. That's how you think about things. But whenever you're training somebody up to do what you want to do, that's the main point. You want to have them do it with you, have them ask questions, get, get to a place where they're comfortable, they understand what it's about, the values of what you're doing, you know, um, hospitality stuff, the values are that anybody who walks in feels welcome in the building, you know, and feels, uh, feels a, a little homely and, and can have a nice cup of tea or coffee. It's comforting. It, it just makes the, the whole, you know, scary journey of being in a new place just a little bit more easy, whatever it is. And, you know, this whole thing, this acronym over here, it's not an original idea, by the way. You know, actually, nothing in church is original. Everything's just pretty much stolen from the Bible or from some smart person somewhere. Because, you know, all you have to do is look at what Paul and Jesus did with their disciples. They saw them, saw something on them, invited them in, began to train them up, let them do the stuff with them. So Timothy traveled around Europe with Paul while he was on his missionary travels. The disciples traveled around with Jesus, watching he was doing what he was doing. Eventually, they'd been with them long enough, and they probably used them in prayer meetings, probably invited them to share a word of prophecy or knowledge at some certain point. You know, Jesus probably had the guys praying for folk because, you know, when Jesus baptized people, sometimes the disciples would do that. So all that kind of stuff would be going on. And eventually one day he says, okay, out you go, go do it by yourself. And they send them out. Then when they come back, they come with their feedback. And I don't know if you remember the story of Jesus sending out the top, but they come back and they're all like super excited. Like, woohoo, you know, even the demons were doing what we're saying, people getting healed. We are the bomb, basically, is what they're saying. You know, rock and roll, let's do this thing again. Next time, let me smoke that village. I don't know. You know, hopefully they didn't smoke any villages. But Jesus turns around and says, that's all fine and well, but just remember, don't get too carried away. Remember, the real reason to rejoice is that your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And so he, he brings them in, he monitors them, and he nurtures them a little. He says, hey, listen, doing cool ministry and doing cool stuff is great, but just remember what it's about. It's about being with God. It's about being with God. You're in this to be with God. And he, he just brings them back to the being question. You know, he doesn't say the word being in it, but that's what it's all about there. You know, your, your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. You get to be in relationship with God. You're in the family. And so he reminds them to let that be their source. You know, rejoice at the fact that you're loved, you're part of the family, you get to be with God. And then while you're rejoicing in that, you go out and you do the ministry. pretty cool. So IRTDMN, write it down, integrate it into how you do stuff and how you multiply yourself. Lastly, good leaders and servants entrust when releasing. Now this is a big one, and this is the big disconnect in a lot of churches and a lot of people who lead ministries when they're trying to multiply themselves. Right? A lot of pastors have the struggle, they don't want to give something over to somebody else until they feel like that person does it as well as they do. Right? Whenever you go to kind of a church training seminar as a pastor, people tell you, if someone can do something 75% as good as you can, let them do it, right? And just 
deal with the angst, you know, if you're a perfectionist. And uh, that's just the way it goes. So once upon a time, long, long ago in a galaxy right here, we had somebody leading a ministry right here in this church, and they struggled to get anyone to serve with them. They struggled to get anyone to do what they were doing. And the main problem of that, and it was hard to communicate this, but the main problem was that this particular individual, he or she was very particular in the way they did this ministry, right? Everything had to be just so. So if somebody ever did help them out and they did something just slightly different, they would come in and fix it all and change it and give them a hard time about it, right? Because it had to be just so. This is the way I want it. This is the way it has to happen. Don't be changing anything. Don't come up with your own ideas, right? So what would happen is said individual who had thought about doing this because this was the training process would go, uh, I don't really want to be deployed. I'm out. And they would find some reason, you know, the normal Christian reason. God has called me somewhere else. I feel God has called me to soak. And boom, they're out. And so this person ended up doing this thing themselves all the time. And it's because they had an interesting problem. They had an interesting problem. You know, whenever you're doing some sort of ministry or some sort of service, if you try to make another person your clone, you're going to struggle to get anybody to do anything with you because nobody wants to be a clone. Okay? We're not designed to be clones. We're designed to do the stuff, do the kingdom, serve one another, but we're designed to bring our flavor to it. God has made us individuals for a reason. Because when we bring our flavor to it, we represent something of the creativity of God. God has made us to be unique and special relational beings. And so whenever He invites us to do something, He doesn't want us to do it in just a super particular way. Yeah, He wants us to be obedient, right? But He wants us to do it with our flavor. And that's a, that's, that's, that's a blessing. And so entrusting something to someone it involves making sure that the person you release is true to the values, yet you give them the freedom to work those values out in a way that's in line with who God's made them to be. So, I don't know, coffee table. You're leading coffee table, and you love blue. You like everything to be blue and all that kind of stuff. And so you get someone come in, and they want to make everything pink. They want to bring in their own pink cookies, flouncy stuff. And you're like, yeah, I just hate that stuff. But the values are they're still making great tea and coffee. People are still coming in and getting a warm cuppa, and they're happy about it. So they're not changing the values. They're just putting their stamp on it. You've got to let go of your anti-pink fetish, okay, or whatever it is. You know, it's a simple little thing. But that's often how it is with, with a lot of ministries, a lot of things. You know, the disciples did things differently to Jesus. And Paul was a completely different personality to Timothy. Yet Jesus and Paul still released those other people to go and do some serious kingdom ministry, to go and lead people to God, to teach people about the kingdom, to teach people about God and, 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 and the gospel and to call them to repentance and to call them to laying down their lives to follow Jesus. They entrusted them to do it in their way. And they were eventually sent out, and they were, they were sent out without a leader hovering over them like a helicopter. 
God allows people to do things their way. And then, you know, he monitors us and nurtures us and, 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 and gets us back on the right path. And so when it comes to leading here at the vineyard, our aim, our hope, the target that we're going for, is to do our best in recruiting you and training you to do all that God is inviting you into. That's what we want to do. And if you're to become a leader, you know, and, and lead in certain things in the church, we want to make sure that we, you're faithful to the values of this community, of this church, and fa- faithful to the values of the gospel. And thereafter, our plan is to release you in those things, in your leading, in your serving, whatever it is, and to entrust you to do it in a way that suits you best, but always being true to the values, and to let you do it in a way that brings joy to you, and ultimately brings joy to the Lord. And then as you go along, we're going to do our best to monitor you, to nurture you, to encourage you, make sure you don't burn out, you know, and all those things that comes along with doing whatever the stuff it is that we do. And then as you go along that way, encouraging you to do the same for others. Encouraging you to uh, be someone that invites people into the stuff you do, but not just that, be someone that invites other people into the relationship that you've discovered with Jesus. And if anybody's interested in that, that's the same way in sharing your faith, by the way. Just landing that in at the end. That's, that's the best way to share your faith. You know, for years and years in the church, people have been taught how to drum the Bible into other people. Now, sometimes people need to hear a bit of the Bible. That's fine, you know. But often when someone's attracted to you and attracted to the kingdom in you, this is the process you go through. You just invite them into some of your journey. Hey, you know, this is, what, this is how I'm living my life of faith. You interested in knowing a little bit about it? Yeah, sure. Well, this is what I do here because of that. This is what I do here because of this. You know, I go to this community, church community, regularly to worship with the people because this is what they value and I value that. And, and, and slowly but surely, you begin to share the gospel with them. And eventually, one day, they come to a point where they decide whether they're in or they're out. They're like, yeah, I want to follow Jesus too. Uh, yeah, no, it's too creepy for me. I'm out. You know, some people are going to say that. And But when they say, yeah, I want to do this too, and then you say, well, come on in. Let me, let me tell you how I live faith out. Come join us. Be a part of this body and Together, we'll train you up in the ways of following Jesus. And slowly but surely, that's how things go. In fact, the number of you in this church, that's how your faith has worked out, Jack. You were attracted in here through something, or you were tricked into attending church one Sunday, deceived, and God got you, right? You weren't deceived, but you were tricked coming in. But then as you've come in, slowly but surely, you've learned to follow Jesus through other people inviting you into their faith journey. And that's how we grow together. And that's how we lead well. That's how we serve well. We give ourselves away. We don't try and control other people. We don't try and make them clones of ourselves. But we call them to the values of the kingdom. We call them to the values of the gospel. And if they're called to be a vineyard person, we call them to the values of the vineyard. And then we invite them to take those things out to wherever they are. Because we gather to scatter, don't we? We don't just gather to be a bless me club, but once we go out, we try and figure out how to bring this kingdom stuff into our lives, into our neighborhoods, you know? One of the coolest things I heard, I'm coming into land now, I've like added 10 minutes to my sermon, I apologize. 
when I was at the Glasgow Vineyard, one of the young guys who I had a lot to do with mentoring is now pretty much one of the senior leaders at the church. He's like Jamie's right-hand man. And uh, his name's Mikey. He's a lawyer, but he's a nice one. Just like you, Mark. Hey, Michael and Michael, how about that? Two good lawyers. <laughs> and um, anyway, so uh, Mikey, we call him Mikey. Uh, he kind of, he's moved. He's about 25 minutes away from the church. And so he kind of travels in. But he tries to do a lot of things in the community he's in. And, you know, Scotland's an unchurched place. It's hard to get people to do church stuff. And so he decided to take this risk. He's like, hey, how about I just invite people in to a Christmas carol thing? Because even though there's a, most people don't go to church in Scotland, people still love Christmas, and they still kind of like a little bit of a Christmas carol. But normally, you know, it's not like the South here where you have a big Christmas event at church and all the CEOs come in for Christmas. You know, CEOs are church and Easter only, right? All the CEOs come in. I learned that the other week. I thought that was quite smart. Yeah, so all the CEOs come in. You don't get a lot of CEOs in Scotland, right? People don't show up for that kind of thing. Anyway, so Mikey thought, oh, I'll do it, whatever. And so in his community, he started just inviting all his neighbors. Hey, I'm going to do a, carol, a Christmas carol, Mike. Do you want to come? Yeah, sure, whatever. And so he set this thing up somewhere in his community. And they had the evening. He thought, oh, well, hopefully maybe 15 people show up. It'd be great. 150 people showed up to his carol night. They said, this was awesome. We should do something like this again. So all of a sudden, he's, he's got like an, an outreach area now. He's got 150 people who are interested in his faith. Now, is he going to start a church right there and meet every week and do what we do? No, he's not, because they're not ready for that. But he's going to start doing life with those people, isn't he? Maybe he'll start a small group in his house, and, and four or five of those people are going to show up, and they'll want to do maybe a little informal alpha or something like that. And maybe some of them will get saved, and that'll grow into being something in that area. Maybe a satellite of that church, maybe a church of its own. He, he was gathered and he scattered and he took what God was teaching him and he took it to his community. It was really cool to see. He was really proud of him. Fantastic. Let's stand. Uh, Jen, you want to come on back? And uh, we'll move into ministry time. So here at the Vineyard, we just finished church with a, a time of response. We call it ministry time. And this is just where you're invited to invite God to draw near to you. So wherever you're at in your life, follower of Jesus, not a follower of Jesus, maybe you want God to make him re himself real to you. Maybe you're struggling something in your life and you want God to, to meet you at it. Maybe what I've said so to, to you today is, has, has triggered something and you'd like to receive some prayer for that. Um, this is the time to do that. So, you know, we're going to invite God's presence to rest in the room. We'll be silent for a moment, and that's just your moment to allow God to draw near to you and just, just enjoy that moment. You don't have to do anything. I just encourage you to be receptive. And then just towards the end of that, we'll finish with a song, and when that song's happening, you're just invited to come on down to the right. Our, our, our prayer team will come down and meet you. And uh, whatever you want prayer for, we'll pray for. If you're sick in your body, we believe in healing. We'd love to pray for your healing. If you're struggling with something that's got nothing to do with what we're saying today, you're more than welcome to come and ask someone to pray with you about that. As well as that, if you're someone that's not following Jesus and you want to start that journey, you want to give your life to Jesus, you want to know forgiveness, you want to know new life, uh, please come and speak to me or someone on the team and we'd love to get you started on that journey and help you out with that.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're always at work. We thank you that you're here right now by your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, would you come? We ask you to come and, and meet with each one of us right now.